Welcome back or welcome to the Where Your Feet Take You podcast. I am Erin Oliphant, USAT triathlon coach with Where Your Feet Take You, longtime USA swimming coach and age group triathlete. I am here with my co-host, Kayla Bowker, professional triathlete, founder and coach with Where Your Feet Take You, and mom to two beautiful boys. We are also here with Amy Oliphant for a special edition of the podcast where we're focused on all things mental training. Amy is the founder of Transcend Mental Training, um, is a mental performance coach. She also happens to be my mom. Uh, She has raised four kids who have all participated in a very high level of sports. Um, And she is also currently the mental performance coach with the USC Davis women's golf team. Amy, as well, is a multiple-time Ironman finisher, and we're really happy to have her here on the podcast today. Uh, Before we get started, if you have any questions for future podcast episodes, please head over to whereyourfeettakeyou.com slash podcast to submit those questions, or you can message them to me or Kayla on Instagram. Before we dive into the huge mental performance topics, Kayla, how you doing? Doing good. Um, that we were, let's see, it's Tuesday. We're on track this week. Recording on Friday last week just threw me for such a loop. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, doing good. Had starting a fairly big block of training. Fingers crossed here that it goes better than it has. I am feeling way optimistic for the first time all year, which is awesome, but also like slightly disappointing in the fact that the season is rapidly coming to a close in the United States. And there's only like a couple of opportunities left, but, um, had a couple of really good sessions and, um, yeah, just feeling really good about it. So thinking that we're hopefully going to be making some changes. Our goal is to refine my run legs, which, I don't know. I must have left them in Spokane or something because they, they <laughs> seem to have disappeared. I don't um, know. You still seem pretty fast to me. Yeah. You know, thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, definitely still, you know, I guess people will say still fast, but not anywhere near like, I mean, previously I was running 120, about 123 pretty easily. And I haven't been able to touch that. So we're hoping to find that again, because if we find that again, I'll start actually being really competitive um, in the field. So, um, yeah, other than that, just, you know, living life, keeping the boys are keeping us busy, trying to figure out what they're going to be for Halloween, which has been fun. I think they're going to be Spider-Man, both of them. Oh, they okay. Both want to be Spider- spider duo. Yeah. Something like that. So that'll be fun. And yeah, that's about it. It's just, yeah. Getting back into training after kind of a fairly easy week. So it's amazing. It felt a lot harder when you come back like the week after a race. Like I only did 15 hours of training, but it felt really long. (laughs) It felt like a lot. Um, I mean, you know, I haven't really touched 15 hours this whole training block with my schedule. So I think that's pretty long. Yeah, uh, that's true. But I guess it's perspective, (laughs) right? Perspective. Perspective is everything. So, yeah. How are you doing this week? I'm doing good. Um, didn't sleep well last night, just had one of those nights where my mind was racing. Um, but work was super nice and let me after my 7am meeting, go back to bed for a little bit. Um, and then got one of those like caffeinated Panera lemonades. And I only drank half of this 20 ounce drink. Um, but I am like jittery and jumped (laughs) up right now. I don't know how much caffeine that thing has, but (laughs) I need to get on my bike right after this because I am like jumping out of my seat. I think they have a lot. I like <laughs> two cups of coffee worth, maybe. Yeah, because a lot. I think this is like Panera Week or something, so you can join their all you can sip club for like five dollars a month. And I'm trying to spend less money on Dutch Bros, which is mm. where I usually get my caffeine. Um, and that's yes. like six dollars per drink. So I was like, "Oh, I'll try this Panera thing." Yeah, oh, but that's a lot of caffeine. You might have to switch a lot of your coffee. <laughs> it's a little too much, especially if you you're someone who's very like caffeine really sends you through the yeah through the roof really quickly. 
Um, it's like when I did that DNA testing and one of the things that was in that DNA testing said that my body like ticks according to my genetics. They're like, oh, you can have four cups of coffee a day. And I was like, if I have four cups of coffee, I'm literally going to either like throw up or (laughs) be jumping out off the ceiling, like out of my skin. And she's like, well, that's not actually what it means. But technically, (laughs) if you were a a coffee drinker or someone who liked caffeine, you could handle four cups of coffee without causing detriment to your body. And I was like, oh my God, that's so much caffeine. But then if you think about it. No, I can't stand coffee, really. But if you think about it, in a race, I have a lot of caffeine and I have no issues with it. So Mm -hmm. at Mont-Tremblant, I took a gel every, um, about every two miles. And so that's 12 to, I took 12 to 14 gels. Um, And I would say eight of them had caffeine in them. And I was using the precision hydration gels and those have a hundred milligrams of caffeine per gel. Oh wow! <laughs> and that doesn't include <laughs> the caffeine that is in my mix, my drink mix in my Infinite for the bike, which had about fifty milligrams per bottle, and I drank six bottles. Wow! <laughs> so we're lot. looking at like probably eleven hundred milligrams of caffeine <laughs> in an Ironman. There's a reason I didn't sleep well that next night, but um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, Amy, do you want to introduce yourself here before we move into some of these questions and before Aaron and I just keep blabbering about our lives? Because we could easily do that. <laughs> um, sure. So Aaron did a pretty good job. So um, as Aaron said, um, I'm Amy Oliphant. I'm Aaron's mom. Um, I'm also mom to three other children and an Ironman triathlete and mental performance coach. And um, it's great to be on the show. So Kayla and I, I'm also an athlete of where your feet take you. So, um, and so it's, it's great to be on the show. So Kayla and I met, um, through a mental performance, um, I don't know, class or certification, certification. Yeah, certification. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's fun to see it come full circle. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think it's so cool that you guys met and so lucky that you guys have met because I never would have met Kayla if you guys weren't in that course together. So No, it's true because it's one of those where uh, I was right through the course with Amy and then she's like, I'm into triathlon. I'd love to talk with you about coaching. And then her and I got started together and she goes, well, you know, my daughter's looking into doing her first triathlon and she's really good or I think she's really good and blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'd like to help her. She's got some stuff we could work through. And boom, here we are, like two, three, three years later. Two I years? think she got tired of me calling her literally every single day asking her what I should be doing to train. So, <laughs> that's why she offered to help me pay for you. <laughs> no, no, my policy, as you know, is that with all of you guys, is I want to be mom first and I will always find coaches and help for you in order for mm-hmm. me to be the mom first. And that even like carries over into your adult life. So, so yep. mom is always going to come first above anything else. Yeah. Well, and let's just face it, like coaching your children sounds is just like terrible. Even now, like boys are so young and people were asking for volunteers for their T-ball. And I was like, not, nope, hands up, not me. I will not, I will not do it. <laughs> so, um, well, also, I think we we've got, out, somehow we figured out how to work it out with the swimming world, but, um, yeah. 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 So I'm not sure how we did that one, but I mean, you just always were a different age group. And even yeah. when you did coach my practices, you did a good job of just leaving me alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Awesome. So well, I think we got some good questions and Aaron's going yeah. to ask us some here. So before we get into like the specific questions, can you guys just give a brief overview of what is mental performance or mental training when we kind of speak about it? Yeah, we'll let Amy go first on that one because she's our awesome guest here. So, okay. um, yeah, I just think mental performance is um, just having the mindset to be able to get through any adversity or any roadblocks or anything that might happen along the way, whether it's confidence issues, whether it's dealing with 
a flat tire on the course, whether it's hitting that, you know, proverbial, um, you know, mental block um, in the marathon of a long course, you know, triathlon. It's it's basically whatever um, whatever it is is feeling uh, filling your toolbox with tools to be able to get through the hard stuff um, and to be able to be a little bit more resilient and fight through whatever is thrown your way is kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I would agree. I I agree with a lot of pieces of that. And I think for me, the only piece I'd add to that is that it's really, you know, for me, what mental performance or mental training really comes down to kind of this, this, this development of these of the skills and tools that you can utilize that I'll lead you to kind of an optimal, optimal performance. And more importantly, like personal, a personal growth. I think a lot of times when we think mental performance, we really think this idea of, again, like, how can I be the toughest person out there? But in reality, it's more of along the lines of how can I talk to myself in a way that allows me to be the best version of me? And when you can do that, then the other pieces kind of fall into place. Yeah, definitely. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's funny. Like I, I've worked with both of you kind of on my mental performance. And for me, it is that opposite. It's not about mental toughness for me. Like 95% of the time, it's being mentally kind, um, which is yeah. also a part of mental performance. It's a huge um, part. Yeah. So all our questions today, I'm going to leave anonymous just because these topics can be sensitive to some individuals. Um, and I just don't want to put anyone's name out there who doesn't want their name out there. Um, but our first question of today is how do you mentally prepare for a race when it's something you've never done before? Um, or especially when it's like double the distance you've ever done before, if you're going from a half Ironman to a full Ironman. Yeah. Um, I really, you know, in that space, it's uh, hard to prepare for the unknown. And I think that's one thing you just have to be okay with be the fact that kind of let go let go a little bit of the idea that this is unknown and instead focus on what you've done and focus on the actions that you need to put into place in order to kind of, again, achieve that goal. So if I go back to kind of my definition of mental performance is the development and the, and the application of tools or actions that are going to give you the best version of yourself. And if you can then put those take into say, okay, I know I, here's what I know for the day. What do I need to do to execute? And then really ground myself in that execution. Then it becomes a little less scary because it's kind of more of a known factor that again, you're controlling what you can control and you're giving yourself that, that, that piece that allows you to grasp, grasp something that's more tangible versus only focusing on, Oh, I don't even know what's going to happen. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think the hardest part about doing anything that we've never done before is that unknown piece. And that's kind of what causes our anxiety is when we're thinking about those what if scenarios, because nine out of 10 times, those what if scenarios go to like these negative, terrible thoughts. And I think if we can just remember that, you know, Trying, trying to keep it as neutral and as positive as we can and to trust the process and to trust your training. So it's not like you're going into this new experience without any training. So trusting that you've put a lot of money in the bank and knowing that, you know, that's why you've trained. And again, trusting that process. And also, you know, I like to go through like if then process. So, you know, being prepared for whatever could happen because if it's a long distance race, something's going to happen. So not even thinking about like the bad things that could happen, but like all the good things as well and being prepared for it. So because the more you can prepare for it ahead of time and visualize and think about the things that happen that could happen, the more prepared you're going to feel when it actually happens. So I like to go through and do a lot of if then training um, with my clients that are you know, facing things that are the unknown um, and going through different scenarios in their mind that could happen. Um, like I said, both good and bad. We want to be able to prepare for both the good and the bad. 
And then on top of it, I think just, you know, being able to break it down into segments. And so sometimes we get overwhelmed when we look at the big picture, but if we can break it down into like just simple segments, then it becomes a lot more doable in our brain. I agree. I think that's great. Would you be able to give everybody an example of an an if-then exercise or an if-then segment for, say, example, um, someone going going to do an Ironman? (laughs) I think so. I can try. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. So, like, for example, um, you know, if if you're out on the run and all of a sudden, like, you know, you'll – if you've talked to enough people, they all kind of talk about a wall that you hit at some point in that run, right? So, um, so if you hit that wall, um, how do you want to react? Like, how do you want to respond to that wall? So perhaps one way of responding to that wall is to break it down into segments, say, all right, I'm just going to run to that next tree, or I'm going to run to the next aid station, or I'm just going to get, you know, take it mile by mile at this point, or half mile by half mile, Or, you know, sometimes I go to a song or I go to that gratitude moment, right? Like anything to like get my mind off that wall and to get myself back into like the present moment and focusing on what needs to happen. I think that's, um, I think Aaron, you probably have some really good examples of that because if we look at Kona from last year, you had to go basically go through something very similar. What helped you go through it? I mean, I think I just remember talking before my first Ironman with my mom, actually, and I was freaking out about all the things that I couldn't control, like a flat tire. And so it's like, mm-hmm. if I get a flat tire, what's going to happen? Um, and she's like, you're going to change it and you're going to get on with your race. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you're right. That is how I'll respond. And when it happened in Kona last year, I did get that flat tire. It was oh shit. And then I got off my bike. I changed it. I took a little, if I were to have this happen again, I would take less time to be pissed about it. Um, but <laughs> I, I took some time to be a bit pissed about it. Um, but then I got on with my race, re kind of set goals of what I wanted to accomplish from that race um, and stopped the pity party. So nothing ever goes fully right in an Ironman. And that was kind of my struggle of the day. Same thing with Coeur d'Alene when I got the calf cramp and had to hang on to a surfboard. Still probably was pissed about it for a bit too long and pushed watts a bit too hard a bit on the bike. But I mean, it worked out. Um, but you just have to know how you're going to respond to those situations and know like how you want to feel after the race. So for me, I just always want to be proud of myself and quitting is not something I'd be proud of. So just really reframing my focus and giving myself something to be proud of, which in a situation like a flat tire or a cramp, a lot of times just getting through the race at that point um, Mm -hmm. is a big one. That's a really good last little piece that you just put in there. And I know that's something that we talk about all the time is this idea of Ask constantly, like when you are trying to prep for one of these things, ask saying, you know, how do I want to feel at the end of it? And then creating your plan for, for that. That's, I jumped when there's a dog. (laughs) She doesn't like it when I'm on the phone these days. So we're moving locations. (laughs) (laughs) Scared me. (laughs) Uh, So. Um, yeah, well, that, 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 all right. A little, Hey, it's an, if then, I guess an, if then statement, if you get scared by a dog, what are you going to do? <laughs> Keep talking. I think along those lines too, Aaron is like, you had a really good, and I, we, I, this is something I talk about a lot too, is like, have a plan A and then have a plan B, right. And maybe even have a plan C. Right. So always being willing, like the more plans you have and you're more, the more flexible you can be, then the more quickly you're going to be able to pivot when something doesn't go the way that you plan. You know, and I remember thinking a long time ago, I was like, well, why would we want to plan for the bad things? Like, and I have people ask me that all the time. I was like, so we know how to respond when it happens. Right. Like, so, so we're prepared for when it happens and we can just move on and get it done and not think about it. 
It's yeah, also, think- to, to add to that, it's important to plan for the things that are going well, because oftentimes we focus so much on what's going to go badly or like how we want to react if something's going to go wrong, that we kind of freak out when something's going right or when the day feels amazing. So you kind of have to look at all aspects of it and and, and visualize all aspect, aspects of it. Visual, visualize yourself crushing the bike. How are you going to respond like? If you're seeing watts that are higher than normal or, you know, any of those things, because that can also derail you if you're not prepared for it to happen, because then you'll start questioning, like, what's going on? You could potentially start questioning what's going on. Is something wrong? Am I going to be able to hang on to the bike, onto the run? You know, plan for the good and plan for the bad. Always with that question, how do I want to respond to this situation? And then taking from that working backwards and creating actions that help you to respond in the way that you want to respond. Yes, exactly. I think one of our next questions, um, the same strategies can be applied to this question, but it's in your experience, what are the toughest times mentally during an Ironman and what's your top strategies to overcome them? Oh, yes. Some similar things. Toughest point for me in a full distance Ironman is miles 85 to 95 on the bike are some of like the darkest moments where I just want to get off of the bike. Um, And then always comes down to whenever I'm feeling kind of in this space of negativity, I go back to my um, grounding points, you know, kind of the you can call them mantras or you could call them power statements, but I always go back to kind of that thing that reminds me to stay in the zone or to do what I need to do. So like, for example, at Montremblant, I had a couple of statements that I constantly said to myself and it was, you know, stay in your zone, stay in your zone, stay focused, stay in your zone. And that reminded me to do my own day and to trust in myself and to trust in my own day. And then whenever, even, you know, even when it got to a point on the, on the run where I was like, I'm going to get caught. I can't do this. I can't hang on to this. I was like, nope, stay in your zone, stay in your zone, stay in your zone and focus just on what you need to do in order to, again, to use that word, the phrase, stay in your zone, get your nutrition and get your, um, get your, get, you feel like you're cramping. Oh, okay. What do I got it? What actions do I need to do? So it was just a constant like stream of talking to myself in a productive way versus even necessarily a positive way. Um, and so, you know, I think that's really having a grounding piece can help kind of keep you out of that negative space. Um, what do you think, Amy? Yeah, no, I love that. Um, definitely just having those like power statements, those affirmations that are going to get you through. I think another um, is having like prior to the race coming up with that gratitude moment. Like, you know, what is something that you're really grateful for? For like, for me, I always think about my family. I think about my kids. I think about, you know, how proud I am of, I am of them, how lucky I am to have them in my life. Um, because gratitude, you know, we can't, our brain can't think about more than one thing at the same time. And so we can't be stressed or feeling, you know, any sort of emotions and have gratitude at the same time. So if we can take that gratitude moment and replace it with whatever those deep, dark thoughts we're having at those, you know, low moments of a race, I think that really helps as well. Yeah, I always tell, I I speak to that. I love that you said that because I speak to that as like, I call that a focal window. Like that's that piece that you, you can only have one thing at a time in that focal window, right? Right. That's why texting and driving is so bad because in reality, you are not, right? You're not focusing on the road because you're shifting your process to the, the text message or vice versa. You're not focusing on the text message. And let's face it, you could send something you don't want to send. You know, like all things bad. And racing, training, focusing is all the same way. Whatever you put into that focal window is then what you're going to get out. So thinking about what is it that I can put into this focus window that is positive or productive and then have that be the thing that grounds me into the actions that I need to focus on in order to be the best, again, I'm going to use that phrase a lot, but be the best version of myself in that moment. And that's another phrase that I often tell athletes to utilize is 
asking yourself, checking in all the time. What do I need to do right now to be the best version of myself in this moment? Not necessarily in 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 17 miles, but right now. Um, and just always checking in, kind of doing a big body scan of yourself. Um, and you could probably talk to that, Amy, from Lake Placid last year of constantly having to check in like, hey, what, you know, what, what do I need to do right now to be the best version of me? Yeah, no, exactly. And that goes back to, you know, remembering that our best versions of ourself can only happen in the present moment. So it goes back to like, what do I need to do right now in this moment? Like, what's the, what's the next best step I need to do? You know, what we've got to make sure that we're staying where our feet are and, you know, focusing on, you know, like you said, the process and what has to happen in order for us to, you know, be that best, that best possible version. So um, for sure, and always checking into yourself and always checking in. You know, one thing I do um, that I recommend sometimes when we catch ourselves, like thinking about the past or thinking about the future is focusing on our senses and our breath, right? Because we can only breathe in the present moment and our senses can only occur in the present moment. So like finding something that we can see, like, you know, like if you're out, on a beautiful race course, there's always something, you know, nice to look at or something you can smell or something you can taste, or even the sound of your feet hitting the pavement or the, you know, the gear switching on your bike, whatever it is that brings us back into the present moment. So we're more able to focus on what's important now in order to stay in that present moment and be our best version. I love it. Uh, yeah, another I lo- question. I love that Loved that last statement. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, Ellie barking is also yeah, making. I apologize me. for the dog barking. That's all right. <laughs> I mean, we, a, lot of, a lot of listeners on here love dogs, so we're good. good <laughs> uh, another question we had, and this one's kind of going down a bit of a different path. Uh, throughout my triathlon journey, I feel like I've started training and racing for other people like my coach instead of myself. How do I go back to doing it for me when I'm scared to let others down? Be selfish. Stand up yourself. and just You have to choose you at the end of the day. And it, triathlon is a selfish sport. Allow it. And I, I think it's sometimes that we don't, we, we, we get too caught up in, Doing again, like you said, doing it for other people. Don't be afraid to be a little bit selfish. In fact, it's important because at the end of the day, if you can't do something for yourself, you can't do it for other people. If you can't stand up for you, if you can't choose your path, choose the things that you want to do, put you first, your goals first, you can't do it for other people. You can't help other people. That was one of the biggest learnings I ever had for myself is when I finally stopped, just stood up and said, no, I'm doing things for me. This is my dream, my goals, what I want. I want to be this and I will do whatever it takes to be it. Even if that means being selfish. That's when I actually started being able to give more to other people because I was, I was doing things that filled my cup and not because of what other people wanted me to do. When I, when I spent my life doing things what other people wanted me to do, that's when I had, that's what caused my eating disorder. That's what caused me getting into really bad relationships, really, really depressed, angry. When I stood up and looked in the mirror and said, fuck that, I am tired of that. I choose me. I don't, anybody else doesn't matter. Then I actually became open to other people. I became open to making friends. I met my, the only reason I met my husband is because I actually chose myself first in the goals that I wanted and then became open to other people. So it's not necessarily a a tool or a trick, but it's just my little rant (laughs) that there is not, it's okay to be selfish sometimes in the pursuit of the things that you love. If you want it, who gives up other people think? Go for it. That's a lot of language that I just put. I'll put an explicit warning on this podcast. <laughs> but this is something that's really, really passionate for me because I, I don't think enough people are willing to stand up for themselves and the goals that they believe in. And instead, they just listen to what everybody else thinks that they should be doing. And let me tell you, that doesn't lead anywhere positive. 
I know from experience. Again, it led to eating disorders and depression and anger for me. And it leads to other things for other people. But when I stood, finally stopped being that way and just got selfish about myself and doing what I needed to be the best version of me, that's when I was unable to give to others and then was able to say, yeah, I have more. I have more energy. I have more faith. I can, I can, I can share that faith with other people now. And I open myself up because I'm now filling the cups that I need. So that's not a tool or a trick, just my little rant on that. No, I was going to say, I think that's like all so true. And I think to like back that up is, is one way to help you like stand up for yourself is to go back and really think about your why, you know, um, I think the why is, should be everybody's anchor at the end of the day. So going back and thinking and, you know, maybe spending 10 minutes journaling or doing bullet points, like why, why are you training in the first place? Why are you racing in the first place? Like what, what is it from triathlon that you're trying to get? And, and if the, if your why is to please other people, then my thought is you're probably never going to be the best that you can be because you can't make other people happy. You know, you've got to make yourself happy and do things for yourself first before you can ever like help other people or make other people happy. Like that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to make yourself happy first and to follow your dream and your passion and, you know, your desires and whatever, you know, whatever it is that you, that makes you, you, it's your responsibility to follow through on that first and worry about what other people think second. And I think sometimes when we can be, sometimes it's really easy to get caught up in, in what other people want us to do and what other people think. And I think sometimes if we can just kind of get back to what is our why, what's important to us, why, why are we doing this, that it makes it a little bit easier to, to do that standing up for ourselves. And I, can I take that even one step a little bit further into asking yourself, because oftentimes we get really close the why can sometimes it's hard to get past like the superficial aspect of your why and going one step further and asking yourself the, what is the because? So we always have a why. Why do we do something? But there's always one more piece and there's, it's, it's the because. So I do this. Why I do this is because of this. My silly little example is, you know, the, 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 the stay at home mom who, who wants, who picks up a side gig and she, that's, you know, they're like, well, why, why are you doing that? She's like, well, I want to make more money. And then and you start going, okay, well maybe that's your why. And then you say, well, why do you want to make more money? And then they say, well, I want to make more money because I, I want to take my kids on a trip. Well, why do you want to take your kids on a trip? Because I want to spend crazy fun time with them of create memories. Well, okay, what is crazy fun time? Right? You're going deeper. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I want this side gig because I I want more time with my kids or my whole family. And if I do this, then maybe my husband doesn't have to work as much and we can go take that crazy trip to the Bahamas. And all of a sudden we remember something that we, we never would have had the opportunity, right? It's just taking it that little step further. It's kind of a silly, uh, it's not a silly thing because it's true for some people, but it's kind of that way to, to take it that one step further, which then again, we can really can go back to like, okay, well, this is really what, what's going on and why, why the deep, deep, why, why I want to do something. Um, so I agree, Amy, I think it's, yeah, that's a really grounding way to figure out what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and then the number one piece is to remember, and this was something I, I dealt with Kona 2017, I was having a miserable run. And I was so concerned that I was disappointing everybody. I was disappointing my, my family who flew all the way. I was disappointing my coach. I was disappointing my, my husband and the people that supported me on social media. And my, Brandon was like, get over yourself, Kayla. Not a single person cares. Nobody cares. You are the only person that's upset right now. Everybody else is proud of you. So get over it. And I was like, well, he's right. I'm the only one that's upset right now. 
nobody else cares. Everybody else is proud of me. They, they just think it's cool that I'm doing this. So let it go move on. And, and when I did, I then started having a better race. And I have then a focus on every single race since then. And, and it's, I think it's one of the reasons why my career started taking off from that point is I completely let go of what other people thought. And again, focused only on what I needed to be the best version of myself and just, just trusted that the people that really loved me and cared and supported me, they were going to be there at the end of the day. And those were the only people that mattered. And if they were at, people were disappointed, then you know what? They're not worth my time. I feel that as someone, I think that's one of the things that I still struggle with is that fear of letting my coach down, um, which happens to be Kayla. Um, Nobody can see this, but I'm nodding my head extremely hard right now. <laughs> um, like, especially this training block, just with a new job that it does require more time from me than my previous job. And just trying to balance everything in life, like a relationship that I'm truly invested in and that I love being in, that that's like a whole nother thing to balance on top of training and um, just my health and everything. My training volume is seems to be way down from where it is last year. Um, and my workouts are a little more inconsistent and I travel a lot and I am always apologizing to Kayla when there's really no need to apologize because I truly have to remember that I am doing this for me. Um, as much as I like to please others, I have to go back to that why, as my mom was saying, why I'm doing this. And it's not to make others happy and proud of me. It's to make myself proud of me. And as I've shared in the past, for me, a lot of my why is to be involved in this endurance sport atmosphere again and push the limits of my potential, but, but while also having other aspects of my life that I'm proud of and I take joy in. Um, and so ultimately, even though I'm not doing what I think my coach wants me to be doing, I have to remember that I am doing this for me. And ultimately, that doesn't really matter. And it comes down to really choosing priorities, right? It's one of yeah. those things where you get to choose the pieces that fill your bucket. And, you know, and, and, then, it, and then when you do that, you do that piece and, and with, with, with pride and you do that piece with presence and, and focus. And it doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, it's not going to be. But if you put everything you can into that moment, then it's all that we ask of you. And as long, you know, and so I think that's a piece that we sometimes, you know, it, you don't have to do, you don't have to do everything, but you also can, if those are the things that you want to do, as long as you, in those spaces, you're doing it with pride for what it is and mm -hmm. knowing, you know, I know you and I have talked about this a lot is that it doesn't matter at the end of the day, as long as you are supporting yourself in, in, and, and fulfilling the pieces that you need from each aspect of it. And that we can, you know, I think that's another piece that's important is that, you know, depending on maybe the team that you put around yourself can be powerful in that situation and having people that believe in you and that are willing to work with you, right? To use us as an example, we will do whatever you need for you to be the best version of you so that you can fulfill that triathlon dream. And, and, that, and, and just because I know you fairly well, that competitive person that you are, <laughs> you would not do well if you got rid of triathlon because you need to fulfill that competitive aspect. Like there would be a piece missing. So what do we do? We nurture that competitive piece in whatever capacity it is that you need to nurture it. 10 hours, 15 hours, 25 hours, doesn't matter. It's just what you need. And if you can, you know, so really looking at yourself. And it, that comes down to also being, again, go back to being a little bit selfish and saying, yeah, I need this piece. Here's what I can do to make that piece a priority. And I really liked what you said, too, about staying in the present. Like, everything you do, just stay in the present moment and remember your why in that moment. I think's really helpful. Uh, before we move on to the next question, mom, do you have anything to add? 
no, I think that's, I mean, that's all just really good stuff. So it's, it's hard. It's, I mean, I think we've all been, I think everybody, I think every elite athlete at some point has had to deal with, you know, figuring out what their why is and their reason for doing things. And I think the most successful athletes, as Kayla says, have learned how to be selfish and take care of their own needs first and, you know, figured out that that's okay. And that there is a, there is a way to balance it. So um, it's like that airplane metaphor where you have to put on your own oxygen mask before putting on the oxygen mask of others. You need to take care of your needs first to best fit the needs of everything else in your life. Yeah, exactly. So our next question, I know we've talked about it briefly in the past, but we'll take it more from like a tips and tricks strategy perspective. Um, What is the best way to deal with post-race blues, especially when the biggest event of your season ended? So like world championships uh, and you have to go to back to work and back to the grind and no one seems to understand around you what you just did or what you just accomplished. It's a good one because you've got a big race coming up. So I'm going to let Amy go first so that I don't get on my little soapbox that I like to get on. (laughs) I mean, I think that's hard because, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there that don't understand this journey that we're on, like this, you know, you know, why we do what we do and why we race and, you know, um, and so when we do accomplish something or when we do finish that, you know, world championship or whatever our like a race is that we've looked forward to, um, I think it's just important to remember that, um, that people just don't get it, (laughs) you know, that it's just not, you know, that, it's not you and it's not them. It's just, they just don't get it. And maybe you just have to explain to them how important it is to you. Right. And maybe you've got to, you know, keep those memories like in your heart and, and let them know how cool it was and how exciting it was for you and educate them a little bit too. And like, keep it alive in, in your soul, but also to remember that, you know, I think that's the hard part about goals is that once you reach them, it's kind of like, okay, what now? And I think that's why people talk about like enjoying the journey and enjoying the process. And that's what's the best part about it is, you know, when you reach one goal, you know, people like to say there's always another mountain to climb. So like give yourself credit for what you just did and then, and then strive for something new and embrace that journey and, you know, use what you've learned from the past journey and move on and get excited about that too. Um, you know, I think the post-race blues happen to everyone. And again, we get to choose how we want to respond to it. Like there's nothing wrong with feeling that way, but are we going to like sit there and dwell on it and like be sad that it's over? Or are we going to focus on like our next endeavor and, and what we're going to do next and, and use what we've learned from that past journey to continue our journey to whatever that is that, that you want to be. I think one of the most important things you've told me and something that I continue to work on after a race is taking the 48 or 72 hours after the race to feel all the emotions you're feeling about that race, whether you're on a high from having the best race of your life or having a low from not accomplishing anywhere near where you thought what you thought you would accomplish or anywhere in between there's going to be highs and lows and taking those 48 out to 72 hours to feel all of the emotions you're feeling. And then after that point, move on, set a new goal that excites you and get going towards the next thing, kind of leaving some of those emotions in the past or using them to just fuel that next goal you just created for yourself and creating excitement for that next goal. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you listen. (laughs) 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 Does that surprise you? (laughs) You never know as a parent. You never know. They do listen at some point in time. So. Your, your job is now complete as a mother. I guess so. <laughs> at least with Aaron. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. I, I agree with that. I think that's one of the, and especially like Aaron, how you really kind of added in that 48 hour piece, because oftentimes 
Like I oftentimes will tell athletes like, I'm not, we're not going to talk about your race for 48 hours. Like, I don't want to talk to you. A lot of times they'll want to hop on. Like, I don't want to talk to you about it right now because you need to, you need to feel whether it's good or bad. You need to feel it. And you need to let that feeling go so that we can then look at it a little bit more objectively. And then maybe even like, if it was bad, maybe we now can celebrate. Um, you know, and I, what I'm getting at here is I think the reason is because I start, I focus on so many pieces beforehand and, and, and it's, and I think this is the key, one of the keys to helping with that is it's starting way before the race. And it's this idea of, right, like, like uh, Amy said, like setting multiple goals um, and having, focusing on kind of the journey and, and loving and finding joy in the journey and the growth that you are exploring for, of you, because that's the powerful piece. In the reality, the race is just, it's just a race. It's just the celebration. It's just the sprinkles on top of the cake. But it's, it's everything that you learned about yourself throughout the whole journey. The bad days, the good days, the challenging ones, the ones where you cried, the ones where you celebrated. That's the powerful piece. And for me, that's what I've come to just love and, and, and chase and cherish and get excited about. And the race is just a, a, a celebration. And it's a chance. And so even when it goes well, I can then look at it from a, well, how did I grow? What did I learn? How can I celebrate what did go well and then move on to the next version of it? And and I think that's how I've been able to kind of circumvent it a little bit and not kind of constantly feel like it was a big piece of piece. Um, I don't know if that made any sense at all, but it's just really the focusing on the pieces that all come into it, right? So I always use my making a cake um, analogy, right? Is you really, what you enjoy about the cake is everything that you put into it. And then you just get to, and, right? And you can't make the cake. You can't put the layers together. You cannot ice it. You cannot put the sprinkles on it without going through every step of the process, and it's in that process that you learn how that cake is, what it's going to actually look like, and what it's going to become. And at the end, you get to celebrate it and eat it. And it's delicious and amazing. And that's exactly what triathlon is. And I've just really focused on embodying that aspect of it. And it's really helped me to just find joy in the journey and enjoy in everything that I'm doing. And that, that's all that I, I focus on. Um, now, I think it's also important what Amy said is that it's it, those feelings that you're having for post-race blues, they are valid. They are valid and it's okay to have them. And that's an important piece. It's very okay to feel that way. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to be uncertain, right? It's, and it's important to talk about it. So being willing to talk about it with the people that you do know that care, your coach, your your mom, your friend, your your significant other, your partner, um, a teammate. Talk about how it is that you're feeling about it, and sometimes just getting it off your chest a little bit can then help you to be a little more clear as to maybe where you want to go next. I like that. I think that's a really good point. Um, last couple of questions here before we wrap up. Uh, what are some tips and tricks for shifting mindset when setbacks seem to keep happening time and time again? This is a question I can very strongly relate to throughout my swim career. Um, so, mom, how? I think I think, I think you I think you both can because let's face it, Amy <laughs> has had her share of setbacks <laughs> in the last like four years. <laughs> my mom has had very many spine surgeries. I've lost count at this point. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think Aaron, you're probably more equipped to answer this better than any of us, honestly. But I think for me, like I'm currently in the middle of, or at the final end of setbacks, I hope. Um, but I mean, like for me, it's like setting smaller goals. It, for me, it's redefining what success is going to look like, um, for me, it's taking those baby steps every day and being like, well, I can't do what 
I want to do right now, but what can I do today to give myself a better chance of showing up the way I want to tomorrow or the next day or the next day? And really, as hard as that is, I mean, I had to postpone two or three races this year. Like, I just didn't just wasn't in the cards, right? You know, and now, you know, like my goal race and being smart about it is not for another year. And I'm okay with that because, you know, as, as Kayla said to me a couple weeks ago, like, it's like starting from scratch. (laughs) So I'm excited to see what I can do with this new version of me. And that's kind of how you got to look at it is like, whatever those setbacks are, you get to show up however you want to and define that how you want to. So I think it's just like taking those baby steps, keep moving forward in the direction you want to go and being realistic with it all. I'd love to hear your side too, Aaron, because I do know just one from working with you and then two from knowing your journey. Um, What has helped you the most with management of those, those setbacks? I think the biggest thing for me is to create a ton of process goals. Um, So to really have like 80% of my goals be related to the process and then 20% can be that outcome race goal. Um, And that just really allows me to celebrate the progress that I'm making each day towards my goal instead of all that joy or all that failure uh, following on falling on one goal. (laughs) Um, So instead of like during my swim career, especially when I was in high school, my goal was to make Olympic trials. And that was the end all and be all. And nothing else mattered if I didn't accomplish that. And that created a pretty toxic relationship with swimming because when that's the only thing you care about and the only thing you can get excited about and you don't achieve it, it just leads to disappointment after disappointment and every setback. It makes the depression that much worse um, because you just feel like you're losing everything that you're working for. Um, whereas you're, when you're setting process goals, you can really celebrate the progress that you're making towards the goals. And I think that's been the huge difference for me now in triathlon when I do face setbacks and I've still faced a good amount of um, um, just being able to really focus on the process, kind of resetting my process goals as necessary. Like after this fall, one of my goals and one of the things I celebrated was just getting my first 3000 yards swim in um, and being excited that I did the work to get back to the point where I could do that again um, and celebrating that process. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that actually kind of fits really well too with the, the post-race blues question, because that's, that's really a key piece of it too. Um, and you know, when you can celebrate what you did, celebrate the process and the, the little tiny goals that you've just achieved, it makes it easier to move on from whatever, you know, the feels that maybe you're having for the race. I think that's one of the biggest changes that I've seen with you, Aaron. Um, as we've been working together and why, you know, I think you've really come to a great maturity and an amazing strength within the sport is that you're able to, at a much faster rate, pick intention that you want to achieve with each session. And then on top of that, celebrating the pro- the journey and what you've learned from each piece versus constantly looking at something as pass or fail. Yeah. And that's been so empowering for you. And, you know, from watching it from this side of things, like I just, I know I've seen what it has done for you and it's just, it's really awesome to watch. I think it's just a matter of, you know, to focusing on what you can do. And that's where the process goals come in play is, you know, focusing on what you can do in this moment and those little things, you know, go a long way. Yeah. Awesome. Little things are, are really key. The more you can really kind of slow down, take your time and set little tiny action item goals. It helps you feel more in control too when things are maybe spiraling out of, out of feeling like they're spiraling from, you know, either it's a setback or, or, or something, you know, 
life is in the way. And when you can slow down and kind of take a second and focus on the little actions that maybe help you to feel more in control, then you then it doesn't feel like it's spiraling as much. So it's kind of that workaround of, okay, life is spiraling, but guess what? I'm I'm in control. I can control this. I can like it's gonna sound really silly, but like if you're someone who likes things really clean. Like I've had clients where they really feel out of control. And we've said, okay, well, you're going to make sure that the, the dishes are always clean every night and your laundry's put away, like for example. And that helped her to feel like, okay, I'm controlling something. And then it felt a little less, like she, she just felt a little less chaotic. So finding pieces that help you feel less chaotic can make a huge difference. I like that. I think that does make a big difference. Yeah. Uh, do we have time for one last question or do you got to go, Kayla? No, nope, we're, we're good. I, I got a message saying that um, I, I'm good for a little bit longer. Perfect. Okay. So we'll wrap up with some visualization talk. Um, and end with a guided visualization. Um, so before we get into that guided visualization, uh, uh, would you please describe how <laughs> visualization works um, and how it can be used for performance? Visualization is, uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can utilize it. And so I think that's one piece that's really key is that there's no perfect way to do it. There's uh, guided visualization, which is what um, Aaron just mentioned. The meditation is actually a form of it. Um, physically, like um, uh, um, uh, picture visualization. Like, like the tense and relax. Mm-hmm. Tense and relax. So. Breath work can be a part of it. Um, actually, you know, f- sitting down and writing down the action plan can be a part of visualization. Um, and the way that visualization is so powerful is because what it does is it puts pictures into your mind and our brains actually process things on an imagery level way better and faster than it does on a word level or a verbal level. And so when you're actually visualizing it, seeing it in your brain from a neuro neurospastic, I'm going to say that wrong, neurospastic stance, uh, definitely said that wrong. Um, neurological stance, um, you are then going to transfer that to kind of muscle memory at a much faster rate. And so that's kind of why actually visualizing things going a certain direction um, can is a lot more powerful. Um, guided visualization is a cool one. Um, and we can, Amy can talk on that a little bit, but it's, I thought, I'll be honest, I thought it was really silly when I first learned about it. And then I did it and I was like, whoa, that's powerful. All right. I just released a lot of emotion that I didn't know I had. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it's definitely a powerful piece. But, you know, there's a reason why you see, like, for me, I grew up a ski racer. And you would see ski racers, downhill racers, standing at the top of the course, eyes closed and, like, visualizing themselves going through the course and like with their hands there's a reason you see that with from the 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 top end athletes because they're physically picturing themselves going down the the hill so that when they actually get to that segment they know how to respond because they've already done it in their brain our brains don't know the difference between reality and imaginary so if you picture yourself going down there in in a perfect way it's going to believe that it's already done it and then it'll allow you to then, when you get to that point, go, okay, I've already done this. I know how to do it. I'm going to go do it. That's one of the reasons it's powerful. Yeah, exactly. It goes back to that if-then planning that I was talking about at the beginning. Like you can use if-then, you can visualize the if-thens. And the reason why that's so powerful is because the brain's like, oh, we've already planned for this situation. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. And it automatically responds rather than having to think about it. So what specifically is guided visualization? (laughs) So guided visualization is more, um, I mean, the way I look at it is it's somebody walking you through a visualization rather than you sitting there and like doing it on your own. It's basically somebody like myself or Kayla 
recording a visualization or working with in person with somebody and kind of guiding you through all the different processes of the visualization. I mean, it could be anything. It could be imagery, like we could guide you through, you know, you actually doing an Ironman, for example, that would take for hours. I mean, I guess technically like, you know, the whole 13 hours or 10 hours, that would be a long visualization, but I guess technically it could happen. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of somebody walking you through the actual process rather than you sitting there and trying to do it on your own. Yep. And sometimes when you listen to somebody else do it, it becomes easier for you to transport yourself there instead of having to do it on your own. Because all you're doing is relaxing and following their voice and letting them literally like hold your hand through the process. Yeah, for sure. I like guided visualization because it's harder for me to, for my brain to wander when it's guided because I'm listening to somebody. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with that being said, Mom, do you mind taking us through a guided visualization to kind of bring us to the end of this podcast recording? Oh, I'd be happy to. So um, I really like this visualization because it kind of incorporates a little bit of everything. So it incorporates some breath work, it incorporates some awareness pieces, and then it actually um, requires you to think about a time when you were performing at your best and then to kind of pay it forward and transport that into a time um, in the future that you want to perform at your best. So with that being said, let's go ahead. And um, I want you all to get in a good, comfortable position um, with your feet on the floor. And I want you to find a focal point, maybe a spot on the wall or on the floor. And once you have it, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to begin to focus on your breathing. Focus on breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. Feel a rise and fall of your chest, and as you exhale, imagine blowing out any stress, anxiety, and or negative thoughts. And then I want us to focus on our breath. So for a few minutes, we are going to focus just on breathing. Breathing is the key to almost everything. The goal is to always be where our feet are, meaning we don't want our thoughts to be in the past, nor do we want them in the future. We need to be focused on the present moment, and when you breathe, you can only breathe in the present moment. It only happens in the present moment, and when you control your breathing, you are telling your brain that you are safe. So let's start with some box breathing. You inhale for the count of five, pause for five, exhale for five, and pause for five. Continue this pattern for a few cycles. Remember when you start to feel anxious or things feel out of control, go back to your breath. And after a few cycles of box breathing, I want you to focus on awareness. While continuing to breathe, I want you to wiggle a finger or a toe, feel the floor beneath your feet, maybe touch your thumb to your finger. Pay attention to what that feels like. That is awareness. We need to be aware so that we can stay in the present moment and recognize when we are in the past or the future. There will be times that we lose focus and our mind will wander, and that is okay. Acknowledge it, let it pass, and return to your breath. It is just about the moment, just like when we are out there competing. And now I want you to look back. I want you to think back to the last time that you had success, when you got things done and you made things happen, and it felt good. It felt effortless. What did it feel like? What did it smell like? What were you wearing? Remember all these moments. Remember how you felt when you crossed the finish line or accomplished what you set out to accomplish. See yourself performing in the zone. However that looks to you, see it. And now I want you to look forward. I want you to think about the next time you're going to be competing and take those same feelings and thoughts with you. See yourself in the moment. What are you wearing? What is it going to look like? How do you want to feel when you cross that finish line or accomplish that goal that you've set out to, to accomplish? What do you see? Take it all in. See yourself performing in the zone. Now, before we return to the room, I want you to go back to really focusing on your breath. Be aware of that rise and fall of your chest again. 
Maybe wiggle a finger or a toe and return to your box breathing. After a couple of cycles, and when you are ready, slowly open your eyes and return to the room you are in. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I think this has been a really great episode, not only for triathletes, um, but for really anyone who competes in sport. So, Mom, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for yeah. having me. It's good to chat again. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Amy. It was fun. And hopefully everybody, um, you know, I know gets as much out of it as I think both Aaron and I could say we even got st- something out of today ourselves. And, me too. You know, me too. So I could go on forever. I totally geek out on this stuff. I tell people all that time, you get me started and I don't stop. So. Yes. What? I know the feeling. I can start <laughs> talking way, t- way adamantly, way too much. <laughs> I get a little excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Well, if you liked this episode, please feel free to leave a comment or a review on wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, So, yeah, I think we will see you guys next week. Remember, you can go to wearyourfeettakey.com dash podcast to write in questions for next week. I think we'll be coming to you with a special Kona podcast shortly. So keep your eyes out for that. We got a fun little special from all the Wear Your Feet Take You athletes who are racing at uh, Kona. So that will be actually coming out next week uh, for Kona Race Week, the first all-women's Kona World Championships. We have four athletes racing. Erin herself is racing. We are excited. I can't wait to watch. I'm having, like, extreme FOMO for not going. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, (laughs) But it'll be great. I can't wait to hear how everybody does. So, yeah. Excited to share that with you guys. Okay, everybody. See you next week.